Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Rothwell. He's Gallup's Gallup's principal economist. He advises Gallup clients and associates on strategic and technical issues related to social science research and publishing and data collection. He's also He also frequently publishes social science research in both academic and popular venues, including the New York Times, Reason Magazine, and Foreign Policy. He is the author of the 2019 book, A Republic of Equals, on how markets limit extreme, extreme income inequality. And he has recently published articles about social media and parenting for the Institute for Family Studies. He's a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a visiting scholar at George Washington University. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad uh, that you're here. You recently published new research, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, titled Parents Matter and Regulating Screen Time. Um, there's not going to be a debate because I agree with that, but I do want to talk about these findings. Um, you uh, published this through the Institute for Family Studies, and I do really recommend everybody follow the Institute for Family Studies and look at the Institute for Family Studies, particularly those who consume parenting podcasts. I think it's a wonderful organization and great writers there. But this was also in collaboration with Gallup. And it showed that screen time on social media, particularly video-heavy platforms like YouTube and TikTok, is having an alarming effect on teens' mental health. Um, the brief also finds that highly involved parents can help relieve some of those issues. So first of all, again, thanks for coming on. I think this is such an important issue for parents. Well, thank you. I, I certainly agree. And uh, yeah, happy to start where you like, where we started in the yeah, article sure. was with the yeah. uh, mental health crisis facing younger Let, Let's discuss that. But first, give me a bit of information about this, if you can give like a quick summary of this new research. And also, I'd love to know why you wanted to do this research. Well, we interviewed uh, through the Gallup panel, which is uh, a large group of people who have previously taken Gallup surveys, they were randomly selected to do so, and then agreed to participate in subsequent surveys. Uh, we've we interviewed over 6,000 parents and uh, close to 2,000 adolescents between the ages of 13 and 19 who are living with those parents. So we got the perspective of both the parent and the, the child on some really important things happening in the child's life. And we focused on mental health related issues and, and parenting and the overlap between how children are getting on with their parents, what parenting practices the parents are adopting and using, and uh, you know, how that plays out in the use of mental health. And of course, as part of that, we also wanted to dig into the activities that the adolescent is involved in, including school-related uh, activities, extracurricular activities, and of course, nowadays, social media use, because a lot of scholars have identified social media use as one of the contributing factors to the rising adolescent mental health crisis that we're facing as a country. Yeah. Um, so how many, uh, you may have said it, but how many people were involved? Well, I should say parents and kids were involved in this. So we had uh, 6,800 parents and uh, 1,600 adolescents. That's significant. 
that is a significant number. It's a, yeah, it's a big group. Uh, and, and I think it's we're able to do this thanks to the, the great Gallup panel, which is, uh, and, and, and the internal funding that Gallup provided to do this. This was a, a study that, you know, we, we do get uh, sponsors for a lot of our research. We work with nonprofit organizations and and businesses to collect data around the world and in the United States. But this was something that Gallup decided was important enough to, to invest in uh, just for the knowledge that could be gained from it. You, there, there is so much. This is a, a sort of data dense uh, new research, lots of graphs and um, percentages in this, uh, in this, but I was really sort of startled um, by the suicide, the conversations and the research related to suicide. The report covers the rapid decline in teen mental health generally, but you also discuss um, suicide rates, which have doubled for girls and increased by Mm -hmm. 50% for boys. Notably, you write in your report that these mental health problems are especially associated with YouTube and TikTok. And, you know, I'd love to get your, I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but I do want to kind of get a sense of what What's the solution there? Like, obviously, I'm, I don't like government intervention and things. I don't like people, and I don't like government telling parents how to parent, right? But I, I don't, I am honestly, as I'm at my wits end, and I have other things to say about that. But what is the, what is the solution here? We've got a lot of loud voices in Washington who want to ban TikTok, for, for instance. Now, that relates also to who controls TikTok mm-hmm. partially. But there is a large group of people who are like, no, no, this stuff is just bad for kids. So, you know, I'd kind of, I'd like to delve into that. We know, because I, I feel like in some ways we don't need to spend too much time. We know that this, we know that there's a decline in adolescent mental health. We know that kids yep. are more suicidal. We know. And 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 I, I get frustrated a little bit too, because that's always, you hear a lot of people go, well, that was just COVID. You know, um, mm-hmm. these platforms have been a lot around a lot longer than COVID. Um, so what do you think is the solution? And I, I'm going to hint at the fact that you talk about involved parents. Talk to me about mm-hmm. that. Well, I think we need to think of the solutions depending on who you are as, as a person and your sphere of influence over adolescence. If you're a parent, uh, which I am, uh, I think the most important thing to think about is what you can do uh, to deal with this problem. When you, we step back and look at the data, teenagers are spending about five hours per day on, on average um, consuming social media. You know, and if they were spending five hours per day on almost any activity that would be right. excessive. I mean, you right. could think if they're going to run for five hours a day, be like, wow, you're, that, that could be long-term damage the, to your the knees. Only, you know? the, only, the only exception is chores. That's that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. If you're working on the on your parents' farm or something like that, yeah, five hours a day is, isn't, isn't bad. But there are not that many activities where you'd want youth right. spending five hours per day um, other than, you know, kind of learning in general. Yeah. and and you got to think they're not learning much from YouTube and TikTok and, and Instagram and Facebook. And in fact, they, they don't really, they say that that's not really one of the reasons that they, they go to these websites right. and apps. They, they say they do it because they're relieving their own boredom or they want entertainment. And five hours of entertainment, uh, by my standards, is, is ridiculous um, as a parent. And there's no way I would let my kids just sit around and entertain themselves for five hours. And then plus, they're also watching television. They're also playing video games. 
this is just social media. This is just YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera. Um, and so I think that raises a lot of alarm bells. And then there's been some very compelling research that kids are and young adults are over consuming. And you can see why, because technology companies create the platforms in such a way to try to keep you on them. Yes. Uh, and there are very subtle psychological tricks that they have embraced, that they've had their developers create that make it more and more attractive to to stay on the site and make it very hard to leave. And uh, some economists, some very smart economists have figured out that about an hour of time per day is is spent beyond what people want to spend. And this is talking about, uh, these are adults who have presumably have more willpower than adolescents. Presumably. Uh, so, so that's a big issue right there. Uh, just the fact that there's so much time. You, you mentioned, you mentioned one thing that I want to kind of go back to. It's interesting because in your report, you talk about this sort of vicious circle when it comes to social media. So basically someone, a child or kid or a teen is feeling depressed or has anxiety. So they go to these platforms to relieve the tension but it only makes the, the, the problem worse. I actually pulled this out from, I want to read this yet. At least some of the negative effects associated with social media may result from the fact that people with lower mental health gravitate towards higher social media use, for example, to relieve boredom, escape stressful life circumstances, or fulfill needs not being met online. So it's interesting to me that I understand this. I mean, I, I, I have done my share of doom scrolling right on a Friday night after with a glass of wine after a really stressful week. And it's to, to, I don't really want to get involved in like a long show or something like that. I'm just kind of mindlessly and I'm not happy or proud of that. But, um, but I understand that mech, that sort of urge to just kind of zone out, but it shows the evidence is showing that that actually does not relieve stress. Not really. Um, and it's sort of an, it's addicting. The research is showing that that right. kind of behavior is addicting. And again, you mentioned it with kids that ha don't have that kind of self-control. It's hard to stop that. Isn't that correct? So it's this vicious. Cycle. That's right. That's right. So we see. So a few things we see. We see kids who in general are less conscientious uh, using uh, pretty standardized personality inventory measures. So they are less likely to agree that they're determined or that they they do the things they set out to do. Uh, they're more likely to say that they struggle with laziness. They're, they're less likely to say that they eat vegetables on a regular basis. These are just sort of some of the things that, you know, on, you know we all know teenagers that struggle with these kinds of things. Uh, but the, the, the te among teenagers, those who self-describe as less conscientious, having less self-control, are the most likely to spend five, six, seven hours a day on YouTube and TikTok and these other apps. And and so they're the ones the most in need of a strong parent to, to say, no, this is unacceptable. I'm, I'm, the rule is you can only spend an hour or whatever it is on social media. Right. Uh, I'm going to take your phone away for the rest of the day. Uh, you know, the, and, and, and also be there to enforce the rules. So right. that's, we found two right. things about this. That you have to actually have the rule in place, and then you have to have supervise the, the child. If the, if you're try, if you're not supervising the kid, then you're not going to enforce the rule. And also, if you have a lousy relationship with with the adolescent, yes. 
then unfortunately, they're probably going to do the opposite of what you said. Absolutely. So really, we, those three things have to be in place. You have to have the rule of limiting social media use. You have to be there or somebody, some authority figure has to be there to enforce the rule. And you have to have the kind of relationship with the child where they respect your authority enough and they, they feel loved and supported enough that they're actually going to listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. What did the polling of the parents show? Are they do are parents doing this? My experience is no. My experience with certain parents, which I have to tell just a, an example. This was years ago when I mean, I'm talking I had some moms in third grade and my child's third grade class who got their kids phones. And I was just shocked. And I remember having a conversation with some of these moms, sort of a group of them. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. We have really, we also don't allow them to play video games during the week. I said, not only do we not give them phone, like they don't have their own phone. So I was like, I was super Cruella at this point, right? <laughs> and right. and the, I, I'll never forget this woman said, I, I just, Julie, I don't understand. How do you say no? Mm. And I was kind, but, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to ask her, what confuses you? Is it the N or the O? Like, it's very easy <laughs> to say no. So, but oh. I do, it's interesting that you mentioned have a good relationship with your kids because I don't know that she did, but um, I'm interested in the polling, what you found of the parents. Are they doing this? They find <laughs> yeah, it difficult? so overall, when asked to the, whether you agree with the statement on a one to five scale or one is strongly disagree, five is strongly agree. We, 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 we presented this statement. Do you restrict screen time for your kids? Uh, you know, that's not the exact wording, but that's basically the wording. And 12% strongly disagreed, 19% disagreed, somewhat disagreed. So that's a big chunk that basically aren't doing any. What is that, almost 30%? Yeah. And then you got another 21% who neither agree nor disagree. So you add those three together and you're at over 50% wow. that are, that can't agree that they, that they regulate screen time at all. Uh, and so that, to me, that's pretty, pretty striking. Uh, and only 25% strongly agreed. That's amazing to me. And, and then, of course, the kids are consuming much more social media in each of those buckets, right. as, as you as you disagree with that statement, your kid is spending an extra 30 minutes, 60 minutes every day. You know, it's funny, Jonathan, I sort of sort of like brushed away. I said, I think we all know earlier in, in a question I posed to you, I said, I mean, I think we all know that this stuff isn't good for kids. Maybe I'm wrong, you know, because I'm obviously part of that 20, 25 percent. I would yeah. probably be part of the most extreme because I've always had very extreme they would say extreme. I think it's pretty common sense, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people just don't know. Is it, is it that they don't know or is it willful ignorance? Because there's a really important, because let yeah. me tell you, I have, I am the mother of three teens. One of my children has a phone and he just got it, just got it right before school started because he goes to school, a state, like, I feel like it really is far away and he's got after school baseball and there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that I need to get a hold of him. And, you know, but he actually made it to high school, which I feel like makes mm -hmm. me a dinosaur, right? It totally, it's like very rare. And, um, and I get, you know, I get complaints and stuff like that, but I'm aware of this. I just, I don't, I don't understand how parents can't be aware of the harmful effects here. Well, yeah, I, 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 I sort of feel that way too. Um, but I think, 
parents are often busy. They're not paying attention to what their kids are doing. We know from the data that the kids are spending lots of time just completely unsupervised. Their parent may think that they're doing something somewhat productive. But reading. In, in fact, they're... Yes, the Western canon. They're up in their room, just like reading <laughs> Huck Finn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It's it's hard It's hard to believe. We do know that the characteristics of the parents um, are predictive of to what extent they regulate screen time. And so whether if you're a religious parent, you're more likely to regulate. If you're a conservative parent, you're about twice as likely to regulate screen time as a very liberal parent. And so somehow liberals' parents seem more comfortable with social mm. media. And I, I, I can't say I understand why that would be the case, but I, I can say that our other research that we, we're going to be publishing soon finds that liberal parents are, are struggling with discipline more generally at, to a greater extent than conservative huh. parents. And so that could be part of it, that it's just that's another form of discipline where liberal parents seem to be struggling. Why that? Why it's not well recognized that there's harmful content is is not clear to me, though. It's interesting to me to hear that sort of political breakdown because you know, first of all, I have to say I love your the title of your study, which starts off with "Parents Matter," and you, you know, I think. I, th I think it's widely known that there is a struggle in America right now with some school districts, school boards, school officials uh, thinking parents will not make good decisions for their kids, right? And think that really the school officials should be the one to make these decisions. And there's this effort. And I mean, I live in a dark blue city, so I see this all the time in my local school district where parents are not told about things, there are secrets kept um, and parents are sort of on edge. And it's interesting because I find that even liberal parents are like, wait a minute, why, why don't I know about this? There was a sexual assault in my local school mm -hmm. and nobody was told. And, well. you know, even liberal parents are like, wait, wait, what's happening? But I think there is sort of um, this idea. And, and what's sad about this is because parents of course matter. Of course, parents matter and behaviors matter. But I wonder if this has something to do with it, because I do find that liberal parents seem to be kind of okay with the idea of schools operating without parental involvement and parental consent. Um, do you find that was in the, in the questioning of these more liberal parents, did did you dive into that a little bit more to find out how much involvement they want in their child's school, for instance, or other life decisions, mm -hmm. maybe medical? Was that a part of this polling or, or was it really? No, about unfortunately, you? yeah, we, we didn't have room on the survey to explore those topics. Those are issues that we hope to get into in future work. And, and it does seem you just based on, recent rounds of elections, uh, especially you know, in Virginia, the governor's yeah. race, uh, where that where those sorts of parental control issues really came up, um, that it, it is splitting to some extent uh, along party lines in the ways that, that you're suggesting. And there seems to be more of a deference to, on the liberal side, to the school authorities and 
trusting the institutions to reach the best conclusions or the optimal configurations for their kids. And, and uh, yeah, conservative parents, especially coming after COVID when they saw that their kids were struggling to learn from home and suffering emotional damage from the isolation, were much less inclined to put their faith and confidence in the kind of union supported uh, and uh, you know, administrations governing yeah. the schools. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is very interesting, that particularly that last part. Um, but I do think this is a good time to segue into what is the role of schools. I know that this really studied parents and kids. But the UK recently outlawed phones in schools. You just can't bring them to school anymore. And this was applauded by a lot of people, um, uh, even here in the United States, when we heard about it, we're like, let's do it, right? But of course, that I haven't heard that that's on the horizon. But do you think schools should ban phones? My kids actually, we actually picked our schools based on the fact of their social media or their um, their phone policy. There are no phones mm -hmm. allowed in my kids' schools. Uh, and my kids go to three separate schools. So um, do you think that that's something that schools should pursue? And I'm talking not, there's a lot of private schools out there that do this, mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. like classical schools or religious schools. But mm -hmm. do you think that this is something that public sh schools should look at? And would they? Well, well, I, I think various forms of, of regulation of phones are, are, are need. Some form is needed. Now, whether it's like an outright ban on the, you can't bring a, you can't bring a phone into the property at all. That seems a little extreme to me. I can think of some very legitimate reasons why a child may need to say reach their parents. And yeah. Use, use a phone well, and so. I, you're right. And I should say, even my, my child's, you know, my child, the kid who has a phone, they have to put it in a cubby all day mm -hmm. but they get it okay. at the end yeah. of the day so they've, right. they've they put in pro so i don't mean like ban but like at least some reasonable yes um that, step so that it's not they're not like in class right right uh, that seems totally appropriate to me there's no learning function of the phone kids were learning just fine before cell phones were invented they don't <laughs> need they don't need apps to learn right uh there's no reason for them to be used in any way during the school day except for perhaps an emergency if the kid gets sick and vomits during the day or, yeah. you know, has to go to the hospital for right. an injury on the playground. Sure. Get out the phone, call the parents. Except for in those extreme circumstances, I can't think of any educational value that the phone brings. And we know it brings quite a bit of potential harm. Yeah. So yeah. I think every school, in my opinion, should have a policy where kids are not allowed to use their phones, except in those rare circumstances during the school day. And if they have devices that the school gives them for accessing online learning content, that's fine as long as they're not able to access the social media platforms. Well, you know, I want to just pivot a little bit back to tech companies. Um, not only are algorithms designed to, you know, sort of show you what you want and more and feed it and feed it and feed it. But you know, I had an incident recently where my child has a Google account because his school uses Google. And so he had a Google account and he turned 13. Now, this account, he they knew his birthday. And when he turned 13, he got an email from Google, real nice email saying, hey, son, I won't mention. I shouldn't mention my kid's name on on, on, on publicly like this. But um, uh, since you've now turned 13, would you like to remove your parents 
from as sort of administrators of your account, because according to Google, um, 13 is the age of where you can be independent. And it actually asked him if he wanted to change his password and to basically be independent of his parents. And boy, that set me off because now we talked about these kinds of kids, right? My kids are really well-behaved. <laughs> I can I don't mean to exaggerate. They they are relatively well behaved. Their rooms are a mess. I can give you a tour of their room and, and they complain about various things. But in general, they don't they don't test us that way. They don't they don't try to um sneak around. And actually he told us, he said he got he showed us this email. I would never have seen it. And so, you know, it frustrates me also in light of how social media companies and some of these platforms try to talk about how great they are and how all these steps and all these things that they put in place, um, you know, to care for kids and to look out for kids. That is an example. That email is so unnecessary. The idea that a 13 year old would be invited to then, you know, and, and to scroll without my knowing, without my being able to check. So um, in your polling, did you, uh, and or maybe future, are you going to look into this about the trustworthiness of these companies? Do parents trust them? Um, should they trust them? And, you know, I, I like calling social media companies out on this kind of stuff because I get fed, as someone with a parent podcast, I get fed a ton of information about how they're working so hard. Um, but I, I'm just curious about your knowledge of that or if that was in the polling. Yeah, it, it wasn't part of the research, those you know, tech company policies, but I entirely agree with you that the tech companies need to take more responsibility for this issue and do everything they can to avoid putting harmful content in front of young people, first of all, but then also making sure that the parents have every opportunity to see what their kids are seeing, yeah. to control it in some way. And uh, the idea that a 13-year-old is, is can now have sort of a license to roam the internet freely uh, strikes me as absurd. Uh, you know, there are huge issues. I mean, we, there are clear regulations on adult content that would not, where a 13 through 17 year old would not be able to access certain websites. So it seems strange to have that, those rules in place, but right. then to somehow encourage them to have you know, free use of YouTube or yeah. their and own they, private email account where their parents can't access it. And I will tell you that, Jonathan, the email was super predatory in a way that like, shh, we have this little secret, right? And that yeah. too sent a terrible message to my 13-year-old that you're of age and you should rem remove your parents. The message should be, no, you're a young kid and you're going to need your parents to help guide yeah. you. So I found it perverted and weird and 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 sort of an attack, you know, I feel like conservatives are constantly getting attacked for for being hyper um, about this stuff. But this is this it's 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 like at its most basic. It's just incredibly impolite to do that and um, and to somehow remove a parent. Um, 
you know, I really believe in the free range kids movement. I have been a devotee of that way of parenting, of letting my kids roam around the neighborhood and letting my kids play outside and letting my kids, getting them off the screens. And I, I actually think they go hand in hand. I think that free range parents are less likely to have kids that are constantly on their devices because you're constantly trying to like give them freedom, right? And it's interesting to me that I think sometimes the parents that are the most nervous, the hoverers, are the ones who are happy if their kid is sitting on the couch because they can have an eye ball on them or they know they're not, you know, a white van isn't going to pull up and like snatch their kid. And so there's some, mm-hmm. it's that there's some interesting sort of, I think, you know, sort of re- there's an interesting relationship there. But I tell you, I find myself being, when I get an email from Google like that, I, f- I find myself wanting to hover over technology more or mm-hmm. wanting to kind of find out what he's doing uh, because I just don't trust these platforms. Jonathan, this is such important research and I hope you'll come back if you do additional research. This is an, um, a topic that's a lot of interest to my audience. So I really appreciate you coming on and any la- last thoughts and how can they find you on look what I'm about to say. How can they find you on social media? But we're talking about adults <laughs> here, so it's okay. Yes. Well, I'm on one of the, the platforms that few teens use, according to our research, which is Twitter. And I'm at, at JT Rothwell, uh, where you can uh, find an occasional post, uh, usually just summarizing. You must uh, be a very healthy that. person staying off Twitter most of the time. I am like, yeah, that's, that's, well, that's I, it, it's a battle when, you know, when, <laughs> when uh, there's downtime, I'm waiting for something, right. there's always the temptation to just log on, see, see what, see what's happening. <laughs> but like, like we see with our data, it, it, it doesn't tend to make, doesn't bring good feelings to me. It doesn't provide edification for the most part. There are some valuable uses to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Terms of learning about other people's work and ideas that I still find useful, but uh, I try to <laughs> regulate my own time on it. Uh, well, but yeah, we, uh, we're we're going to continue to to put out new findings with this with this survey, including uh, the the sort of best practices that parents use when it comes to raising their children and and how strongly related that is to their child's mental health, which is one of the really striking things that we're finding. So wow. I hope uh, your your audience uh, uh, stays tuned and, and uh, comes across some of that, that research too. Thanks again, Jonathan. We will definitely be in touch and we will be following your research and sharing it with our audience. They really care and they, they do matter. Parents do matter. So your message resonates with us. So thanks again for coming on. It's been my pleasure. The Bespoke Parenting Podcast with Julie Gunlock, that's me, is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. You can send comments and questions to julie.gunlock at iwf.org. Please help me out by hitting the sub uh, subscribe button, <laughs> sorry, and leaving a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Google Play, YouTube, or IWF. Hang in there, parents, and go bespoke.